Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we get started, are you thinking of creating a podcast or are you a podcast host already? As a podcast strategist, I can help you to launch or relaunch a purposeful and profitable podcast, which will inspire, entertain and educate a global audience. Simply book in a one-to-one call with me right now via the Calendly link in the show notes and together we'll focus on the purpose of your podcast. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by Liam Banforth. Hello, Leon. How are you? Hello, Amy. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And it's been a long time in the making, really, because you've been a part of my life for over a year now when you helped me to get prepared for Speaker Factor last year. And there's since been a whole another competition, been and gone. And yes, thank you again. I just wanted to say a huge thank you for your help to get me ready for the final, because that was a really big challenge. Yeah, it was uh, an absolute pleasure. It's it's something that I, re- I really enjoy helping people um, work towards their Speaker Factor speech because I certainly gained the benefit when I did Speaker Factor. So I did it all back in 2018. I feel like an old man now. Um, all the way back in 2018. And in terms of focusing on why it was something that I really, really focused on, it really pushed me as a speaker. It's something I really loved doing. So it's certainly, um, certainly something I've, I've Find a lot of joy in helping other speakers and, and helping boost them. So you're absolutely very welcome. Finding a lot of joy in helping other people. Is that just in speaking or is that in all of your work, Leon? It, it's throughout my work. I, I really like to um, to observe where people are struggling and to help boost them. It's just such a such a joy to do. And often it, the thing that makes me sad, actually, is that how little effort it often takes and how it's just taking that moment to pay attention to what's, what's going on for someone else. Sometimes we're so focused on our own sense of purpose, on our own sense of what we want to achieve, that we don't take the, the step back and say, what's going on there? You know, what, what's happening for that person? And are we bringing them along for the ride? Or are we uh, you know, strangling them in, in trying to force them to do what we want them to do? And would you say that that's a skill that you've evolved or is it something that you find natural and you're just able to spot what other people can't see? Um, it's very, very much learnt. It's not even evolved. It's, it's I directly, th- there was a moment in my life, two, two, two moments. One is when I was um, telling my brother that he shouldn't smoke. I remember this very clearly. It's towards the end of my twenties, and I could see this very clearly. Of this was something that he shouldn't do, and so I told him he shouldn't do it, as if he'd never had that thought himself. Um, and I remember being obsessed with this idea of why can I see something so clearly, and yet not be able to communicate that to someone else in a way that would affect their behaviour. Um, and that really sent me on quite a journey of what's going on there. And then the second experience for me, I, I had a quite an unpleasant experience at a place I was working at the time. And I was working at a particular place for about five years. And there was one group that I was working with that 
we did not gel. It did not, it did not go well and things went worse and worse and worse. And I, towards the end of that experience, um, you know, I was constantly trying to improve things and, and, and help them recognize that I wasn't this, this monster that they put me, put me as. And then I had an experience towards the end of that five years when I was almost ready to leave anyway, um, that I'd done something really nice to help and then they came over still antagonistic and it suddenly dawned on me, ah, I can never get these people to like me. And that was because the problem wasn't now five years. Yeah, you know, the problem was five years earlier. If I fixed it five years earlier, it, it could have been possible. And so again, that sent me off on this, this journey of just trying to understand how to negotiate, how to communicate, how to, you know, this thing that we think we're great at, but we're actually not, which is we're great at speaking, not listening. Um, so I, I came across a book by Chris Voss, who heard never split the difference and he opened my eyes and I've, I've studied a, a lot of other books since then, but he was the one that opened my eyes to actually really understanding what's going on for the other person. And I have to ask what happened to your brother and his smoking? <laughs> um, I think he's gone to an e-cigarette now, but but the fact is, it, I, I never could influence him in that because he already knew. It, it's such an interesting thing, is it? This this arrogance of assuming that we have these thoughts that no one else has, and that we can just bestow upon you grateful parishioners or you know the uh, the knowledge, and and we do this all the time as speakers, don't we? It's so interesting as a speaker. One of the most fun things you can do as a speaker is you have your big idea, and you try it in an audience, and sometimes it's painful how badly it works. You know, as in you just completely, you've, you've not articulated it properly. You've not found the right motivation for someone. You've not found, well, to, to uh, be cheesy, you've not found the why, uh, Amy, to, to steal your phrase. Um, and a lot of what I find fascinating is we think we're very logical. We think we're very, very rational. And actually, we're really not. We use rationality, we use logic, but it's always in pursuit of a value. So if we don't, if we don't align on values or a, a behavior, you know, for example, my brother chose to smoke or he was actually then addicted to smoking. Um, and I said he shouldn't. Well, there's a <clears throat> misalignment there, not at the logical, rational level. It's, it's much deeper than that. Well, you certainly didn't steal my phrase of the why. I think it's been going a long time way before I was around. <laughs> but in terms of understanding that negotiation and the communication and understanding the difference between speaking and listening, I just want to dig into that journey that you've been on and how that has evolved for you. I think the most interesting learning from that was how much it affected. So I work in businesses a lot and I work specifically in businesses to help them um, with a gnarly transformation problem that they've got, I'll come in and I'll, I'll help them work out how they can implement a new change or sometimes just come in because the, the team have underlying problems and, and to help the team become more of a team, as in a, a team is defined by something that has a, a, a shared goal. You know, if you look at the dictionary definition of team and quite often teams are just groups of people. So, so we can help a team come in and be a, have a shared goal. Um, 
And actually, it's massively changed how I do things. In, in terms of, whereas before, I used to think that I was responsible for the outcome, um, or I was responsible for how they achieved the outcome. Whereas actually, what I was responsible for was setting out the boundaries of what needs to happen and enabling them to come up with their own way to navigate through that and navigate to where they want to go, not only empowered them, but made it so much more likely that they just thought, they just carry on with that and they just actually implement their, their ideas. We have this idea that, that people resist change. No, they don't. They resist our change. So that difference of being someone who's a facilitator and to help people to navigate the journey that they're on, how has that now allowed or empowered you to know that you're empowering others by not actually enforcing your way and enabling others to find their own way? Um, I think there's, mu there's multiple ways we could go with that. One is, personally, I find it an absolute joy to to help other people. If, if you read some of the great uh, psychotherapists, like Carl Rogers is such a great example. There's, when you read his work, it's so clear that the way to help someone change is to have empathy, to help them feel understood, help them feel appreciated, valued. You know, it's, it's not, you must do this, it's, to give them the conditions to enable them to grow and to flourish and giving them that nourishing environment is actually far more important than giving them the answers. Um, and that's, so that's one-on-one -on -one individual, but also interestingly, it's um, in groups. One of the most beautiful things you can be a part of is a nourishing group. I'm a, um, a mediator from a sense for, uh, amongst other things. And so I'm part of a group called, um, they call it reflective mediation. And I joined this group once a month and it's phenomenal. The idea is that we have a group of a few mediators, not many of us, and one of us will bring a problem that they've, they've had and they'll talk through it. And we're not allowed to give them the answer. We've just got to ask questions and help them and allow them to think. And actually we think through talking. So it's incredibly valuable. And what's lovely is seeing people come with a problem and, and you can see the physiology change. You know, they're really kind of tight and is, this is a gnarly problem, a depressing problem that's really gripping them. And at the end of it, uh, there's one lady on the, the last um, group I was in who just, you could just see she was just so, well, she even described it as a weight had lifted off her shoulders. And we didn't tell her, this is what you must do. This is how you fix it. We just listened. And it makes me sad in business how often we're so focused on the important business um, project or whatever we're working on that we miss the person. And actually, if we allow the person to come up with a solution, often they come up with far better solutions that, than we do because they understand their area far better than we do. Uh, again, it's an arrogance thing that we think maybe if we're a bit higher up in the tree, we understand the world so much better and they must follow our, uh, our dictations. It's an arrogance and also a what a desperate need in us to to feel important um rather than recognizing actually it's so much more beautiful to empower other people to to have that importance and have that value
I love that. And I love the way that you are articulating that through the thinking, through talking process, the reflective mediation that you were just mentioning, but also the understanding. And I know that probably other people who have said this before, Stephen Covey says, first seek to understand and then be understood. And it's very much echoed in what you were saying here through the empathy and the feeling of being understood and setting aside the ego that we all we have all the answers because we don't. Well, I know for sure that I don't. And actually listening to you here sharing, that is not a case of being, well, the metaphor that you use is higher up the tree, but it's a case of just being involved, being there in the presence of others. So how did you arrive at this particular work that you're doing now, Leon? Um, I chose it. I, I reckon, so I used to, I started out life um, doing a robotics degree and that was, that was lots of fun. And I absolutely loved it. And then I came to the end of that and realized there were no jobs in robotics unless I wanted to transplant my family to some fancy faraway place. So I, I uh, fell back on what I also love doing is, is computer programming. I love taking a problem when, you, when you're given a problem and you, you can take it apart and bring it back together and, and put something together in a really elegant way to, to solve a problem. And I, I felt real, I don't know, honor at, at being able to create tools in a way that the vast majority of humanity, you know, up until 50, 70 years ago, couldn't do what I was doing, is creating these, these tools. And what became obvious to me over time is actually the tools that we need are so often much simpler of how we talk to each other, how we interact with each other. And we seem to have lost something, actually, in terms of, you know, we, we're so advanced yet we don't understand our own basic needs and and actually the the teams often didn't need more technology they needed more humanity they needed more communication um and so over time i i'm more gravitated i still use technology i still help you know i still love the how how that enables us to to progress but over time I became much more interested in actually how do we get teams talking to one another how do we get them dealing with those problems we often hide the conflict because we don't like talking about it but then it stops you know the, the the classic idea of kicking the cat you know why do you kick the cat you kick the cat because um because you're not allowed to speak out where you want to speak out you know that's the game of charades you know the the whole point of charades is you act out what you can't speak out um and actually a lot of times in, our, in all our relationships, but you know, teams at work is, is no different. We, we think we're really rational, but often we're acting out because we can't speak out. And I've found that when I listen to those people that are acting out the most, that might be labeled as toxic by others, interestingly, they, they have real insight and value that people aren't listening to, and it solves so many problems. And um, yeah, it's, again, it's just sad. It makes me sad that such a little amount of listening can make such a big difference and we just don't do it. You mentioned earlier about that logical and rational way of thinking and is in pursuit of a value, you said. How easy is it for you to bring groups or teams back to their values to help them align their thinking? Um, it depends what the problem is. But often we, we've we've develop tools in business to manage people as 
resources. I hate that phrase, human resources. You know, and we, let's get another resource in here. I mean, a person. And so I was on a uh, team one time and we were delivering a 10 million pound project and things, my responsibility was the, the people. So I was aligning 12 different teams, uh, bringing them together, focusing them on what was important and the wonderful, yeah, I really love that. I really love that being able to align people and bring them together and, and focus them and, and deal with the kinks that come along. One of the teams though was failing, failing really badly. And we did all the right things. We used all the right tools to um, manage him as a resource. We put in daily calls to check up on him. We escalated the problem to his manager of um, this. So this particular team, there was one person that was the main, uh, the main focus point that, that we were relying on. Um, and even though we were so amazing by putting all those things in place, things did not get any better whatsoever. And we went on a call and he was there to provide information about what he'd done so far, you know, where he was. And it was a big problem for us because if he didn't deliver on this call, then it was going to cost um, about £200,000 because we were going to miss the deadline where everyone was aligned, everyone was coming together. It meant we'd have to renew a, a large software um, license. We'd have had to pay for the project team to, to stay together and to, to continue. It would have been a big deal. And so obviously we knew our why. We knew what was important and we were very focused on that. And we got on the call and I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm just worried about being humiliated again. And now what, I, what I've learned is you lean into that. You know, it's not, well, that's your problem to deal with. Forget that. We've got a, you know, we've got a ship to, uh, to save. So I said to him, it seems like you're worried about being humiliated. You're just reflecting that back to him, just labeling and just allowing to feel heard. He said, yeah, last time was absolutely horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And I said, well, we're here for you. You know, this isn't just you on your own. Any problems that we come across, we'll deal with it together. And he started to show us what we needed. And actually started to, started to actually show that he had done a lot of what we needed. And as he, as he went through it, I said, oh, you've shown us a chunk of it now. That's fantastic. You must be feeling a lot less stressed. He said, oh, no, no, there's still, it could still go wrong. But again, I was able to, uh, to tell him, it's fine. Yeah, we've seen, we'll deal with any problems that come up. What's interesting is he started to deliver and he started to, um, to show us exactly what we needed. But more than that, off the call, we started working together. And all of a sudden, he started to deliver really, it was, honestly, it was fantastic. This, this person that hadn't delivered anything in weeks and weeks, all of a sudden started giving us everything that we needed. And it was absolutely fantastic. Um, and it was really fun. And I knew something special had happened on that call. So afterwards, after the project had delivered, you know, we came, we got it across the line. It was fantastic. We really focused on what was needed rather than what was wanted and, and managed to get it across the line. And afterwards, I interviewed him and said, what was my impact on that call? He said, 
I've been really stressed up to that point. I've been working 60 hours a week just trying to get this across, but nothing was good enough. It wasn't working. Whereas after that call, I knew I had an ally. And here's the key bit. It became a real buzz to work on the project. So in terms of aligning him, by focusing on what was blocking him, it wasn't, it didn't, it's not that he didn't understand what we needed. It's that he'd got into that state that you see quite often where people are stressed, really, really stressed. They start to shut down. Um, they start to focus on not being stressed. And that makes them more stressed. And he was just worried about being humiliated. So actually, by enabling him to unblock his, his value of not wanting to be humili humiliated and change that to it became a real buzz to work on the project, that was all about creating that bond. You know, enabling to have him to have an ally that he wasn't going to get attacked. He was actually, we were working with him. Again, compare that to the tools that we had used and that we use all the time in business of we escalated to his manager to complain at him. We put in a daily call to, to check up on him. We treated him like a child rather than treating him like the really knowledgeable professional that he was. And as a result, um, yeah, we, it, it just, again, it just makes me sad. These basic, basic things of treating people like a resource means not only does he suffer, but we suffer in our outcomes in business. And like I say, that one hour conversation saved that project about £200,000. It is amazing, isn't it? And so often the human touch, the human input is lost in the machine. And you having your robotics background and your very problem-solving, driven, logical, rational background, people can't fit in those boxes. I mean, there's, there's two things. One is, interestingly, you can use the same principles in, in the, from robotics. Because it's all about controlling a system or whether the system is... So I can apply that. I, I was blown away when I worked that out. That you can apply the same engineering principles to a crowd and a team of... You know, are you dealing with the errors? Are you dealing with, are you, are you having the right proportional response to what um, are wanting to achieve? And actually, are you, is your input having the output that you want? So you can actually bring it to that level and just look at it rationally. But often our inputs are convenient, you know, because actually what we want to do is to cut down on our emotional entanglement with something. So we have, Again, very rational, logical. Um, there's loads of things in business like this. You know, we, you, you have to have a annual appraisal. I don't think I've met someone that enjoys an annual appraisal at work. And one thing I love about working for myself is I don't have to have an annual appraisal. Um, but that annual appraisal, was, it was just a tick box exercise to say, yes, we've helped the person progress. But more often than not, it was... Um, you know, all the things, it's just two, you know, having one, one meeting once a year to see whether you're progressing as a person is not conducive to you progressing as a person, but it ticks a box and rationally, oh, it's great. Aren't we uh, uh, investor in people? We're fantastic. There are so many things that we do to limit our exposure rather than, rather than leaning into that emotional connection and say, do you know what? The fun part of life is connecting with people and enabling, back to that enabling people, it's enabling people to be brilliant. And actually when you do that, 
Yeah, you're going to have to learn a bit about them. Yeah, you're going to have to ask them questions. Yeah, you're going to have to be genuinely interested in what's going on for them as a person rather than just focusing on them as a resource to fix a problem for you. But that's the joy of life. It's, it, there's nothing more exciting than working on a team that's genuinely, excitedly focused on solving a fun problem. And I love how passionate you are about it, Leon. I can see it. So take yourself back to that moment where you finished reading the book, Never Split the Difference. Yeah. And you said it opened your eyes. Why were they shut? Because I was so clever that I knew the thoughts in my head were so very special that all I had to do was to use more words to convince the other person of the specialness of the wonderful thoughts in my head. Um, that was that was the biggest shift. Was actually there's something deep, and actually, this is the problem. In communication, we have needs, real, de- and this was that was my need. My need was to be intelligent, to be you know to to feel important, to feel valued. Actually, you know, we the, I I talk with businesses a lot about there's, there's four basic needs that we have. And I do an exercise with them, and I do this with CEOs and and um, and leaders, and I I take them, I have them visualize an experience when they were doing badly, and then I'll I'll do these four basic needs. So I'll say, did you have a goal, a why, that you were focused on, that you felt you could achieve, that actually you could move towards, and that meant something to you? Did you have control over your environment? Did you have did you have feel you had the skills to enable you to move towards it? Your mastery. Did you have the skills to move towards it? And finally, did you have belonging? Did you feel like you belonged, like you had an ally, like you had people you could rely on? What's interesting is then, and I have them score that um, on a out of a hundred. And then I do a similar thing where I take them into a time when they were doing phenomenally well, things were going absolutely amazing, and they score it again out of a hundred. And you look at the difference. Well, we just don't focus enough on these conditions that enable us to thrive. So that's in terms of opening my eyes, just understanding it's not about me talking more at someone. It's understanding their situation to enable them to thrive. And part of that is this belonging. We all need to feel valued. You know, the mastery and the belonging. We need to feel valued. We need to feel understood. We need to feel connected because we're deeply social creatures. It's not, again, we get hung up on we're so rational and wonderful and amazing that that's where we focus. But it's the wrong focus. So that's, that was the eye-opener is that we all need to feel heard, but we don't need to hear. And so that's the disconnect. And so understanding how people tick and, and what we all need means actually we can give them that and we can ensure that we have it because we need it for our own mental health. And talking about the business here, you've given us lots of examples of how teams and groups of people engage with one another to perform and to thrive and where there could be the breakdown and how those elements or where those elements will come from. What about in the personal side of your things, Leon? How does purpose fit into that side of your life? Personally, I have five children. So... um, it's it's quite interesting as a parent, what you want to do is to give your children the right answers. 
again, that fits into our need, doesn't it, of feeling valued, feeling important. But it's so much more important to enable them to become the sort of people that come up with the right questions. And again, it, it's completely changed my understanding of, of what role I play as a father because I'm much more willing to, um, to listen to them. And obviously we all make mistakes. And obviously I'm still frustrated, you know, that they didn't do the dishes or they, they won't tidy the room or, you know, whatever it is. Um, th- but actually seeing my role as a parent is not giving them the answers, but enabling them to become the people that can take on the world and can go out there and, and do their own thing is it's just so much more, I don't know, beautiful. I think it's probably the right word. You know, it's, it's, it's lovely to see them flourish and grow and develop. So, and that's what I try and do in my personal life as well, in terms of other people I come across. It's wonderful to see people that are blocked and you can just through a little bit of listening, help to unblock them and move them on. That's why I love mediation actually, because you've got someone that is, you know, a, a, a relationship has gone sour and you can go in there and help them. Usually in a mediation, what you're doing is mediating a divorce. Yeah, this this beautiful relationship that that was going to produce all these amazing business results has has gone sour. Things have gone bad. They've tried normal negotiation that hasn't worked, and usually that's because they're trying to be too rational. And so, what you go along and you you help them both feel understood, both feel heard, and you mediate that difficult line of finding a a path through the difficult swamp that's going to you usually at that point not getting everything you want. Usually at that point, you're, it's the least miserable you can be. You know, you find the least pain. But the important thing is actually, it's not about that. You, people become so focused on that conflict and you unblock them to focus on, well, what do you really want? Where do you really want to spend your energy and your time and your resources? Is it really on you know, going to court and fighting this out? And just unblocking them to actually improve the world is, is really, really... Wonderful. It feels amazing just enabling them to go on and just actually and make the world a little bit better rather than a little bit worse. So yeah, I love doing that in all in all my life. It's not I don't just compartmentalize it to to my business interactions. I, I do it in the mediation. I, I do it um, just with people that I come across. I love doing it. It's beautiful and wonderful, the work you're doing. And you mentioned right at the beginning about your role as a speaker and how you're directing your work into that area, but not from the perspective of, as you said, right at the beginning of just talking at people, but doing it and delivering it so that people will take away what's relevant to them. Where are you directing your time, your energy and your resources right now in the speaking world? So I have a, um, a, a product that I developed over lockdown, which is, you'll be unsurprised to hear, very, very uh, much in line with what I've been talking about. Um, the, the question is, how do you create those teams that really have shared visions and avoid, avoid nightmares? Um, the, in, during lockdown, the, the, the problem with lockdowns is obviously, yeah, if you go through those conditions, What's it done? Do we, do we feel like we can move towards a vision? Well, no, because everything's been upended. Do we feel like we've got control? No, we are certainly less than we had. Do we feel like we've got mastery over our environment? I mean, we're getting there again now, but certainly everything was upended at the start. We weren't sure what was going on. And do we feel a sense of belonging? 
you know, grandma couldn't see the grandkids for, for a year. It was, it was horrible for us, actually. It was really terrible. And what I found personally in my work is when things were going well at home, I could cope with things not going so well at work. When things were going well at work, but I was struggling with some things at home, then actually work can help me have a bit of a release. When both are going badly, it's really, really bad for me, I, I recognize. And actually, this is what I observe with other people. So um, what I'm focusing on my, my, my speaking side at the moment is actually helping leaders, help CEOs just create those environments that enable their time to thrive. Um, so I have my new program called the uh, Be the Giants program, how to refocus, energize, and um, reconnect your teams. And it's it's really lovely to work with leaders to to bring this out into their teams to actually focus on what their teams need rather than what the leaders think their teams need. So with your Be The Giants program and reconnecting or helping people reconnect with teams later on, what's the driver or what's the energy or what's the focus for you behind what that's going to create for people? At the most abstract level, it's, we, it's creating potential and reducing suffering. That's the ultimately. But the, the point is, it turns out lockdowns work. When our, our economy is not really designed for lockdowns. And so there's an awful lot of problems that, that we're going to need people at their best to help us get out of this and, and get even further. And actually having people realize that there isn't anyone else coming for that that they are the people that we need to get through this. We need their expertise. We need their skills. We need their passion to take the, the problems of the world on their shoulders, the ones that they can manage, the one that in their little area uh, or important area. Little sounds belittling, doesn't it? In, in their area of the world. But if we all do our bit, then that's how civilization progresses. That's how we get to the stars. And I think we need that right now. I think we need that focus on what we can do, what we can become rather than what we can't. A lot of what I focus on as well is actually recognizing that there are really useful, we, we all like visions of find your why, actually find your, um, find what you don't want as well. Find what you want to move away from because it gives you a clearer view of what you want to move towards. There's a really cool example I heard on my, uh, when I was doing my master's, a doctor came and talked about something called chaos theory. And he said, imagine you, there's a, a train crash and you're the, you're the first doctor on the scene. And there are bodies everywhere, you know, some plainly dead, some mourning, some scrapes and bruises. What do you do in that situation as a, as a first responder? You know, maybe you just jumped, you know, just jump right in. You, you deal with the first people that you come across. Um, but that would be a mistake. Because then there are people that maybe, you know, 20 person, people in, you could have saved their life, but now they're dead because you didn't um, go to them first. So in terms of what your why is, if you think your why is, well, why am I here? Well, I want to save people. And so you jump in and you save people. It's not very thought through. Actually, if you look at what your nightmare is, so you've got your vision. What's your nightmare? Your nightmare is that someone dies that doesn't have to die, that you could have saved. If you understand that, well, what's your why? Your why is, I'm here because I want to save as many people as I can. 
So then you don't just jump in. You say, well, I, okay, what I need to work out is then a way of doing that. So a, a simple, um, a simple approach is to say, everyone that can stand can walk. Will you please move over here? You know, just move over to that side of the platform. And what you're left with are the people that can't move over there, and they're the ones that you should treat first. So just that simple understanding of not just your why, but your not. You know, what don't I want to achieve? And actually, for me, that not often it's the the nightmare is often motivating people. So if again, if I go back to my story of my friend, he was just worried about being humiliated. That was a nightmare that he was blocked by. And so if you know what people's nightmare is, and again, you can align them to a useful, healthy nightmare and a shared nightmare. Um, a, a great example is getting to the moon. You know, when the Americans went to the moon, their vision was to put a man on the moon. What was their nightmare? It was to not put a Russian man on the moon. And when I when I ask a, a American that, they get it immediately. It's still there. You know, it, it's it's so deep. They wanted the American flag on the moon, not the Russian flag on the moon. And that was a useful nightmare. You can't tell me that that didn't bring that team together in terms of understanding what don't we want, what do we want. And so that's a lot of what I I deal with in business is really focusing on the um, what people want, what they don't want, and really bringing them together. I think that's been really clear today because I was actually going to flag up with you that you'd been saying about what makes you sad and it's definitely an away from motivation as opposed to what brings you joy. And you have had that in equal respects during what you've shared today. There's always been that sort of that push and pull motivation going on. And it reminds me of that Desmond Tutu quote about there comes a point when you need to stop just pulling people out the river, but you have to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. You know, that whole scenario of what's going on here. It's not just keep sort of rescuing people, but getting to the root of the, what the problems is, or the, what the problems are. And I do feel that about the analogy that you shared, saving lives, that your doctor shared with you about the chaos theory in your master's degree, it's really simple. It's really simple. You know, it's just such a simple thing to take away. And if that's one thing that people take away from today's episode, then absolutely hold on to that. Because, yeah, stand on the shoulder of giants. I think that's the phrase, isn't it? Yep, yep. And that's that's the the Be the Giants program. That's the the idea behind it. Absolutely. So that whole motivation, understand what is motivating you right now and whether that is a driver that is potentially negatively affecting you or positively affecting you, but understand what it is. And, and that's what this whole purpose of the show is, to focus on why. It's not just the why piece, but again, it's that focus piece as well in equal measures. So, Leon, it's been an absolute pleasure to do a deep dive. It's just gone so quickly. We haven't had enough time to explore more. I'd love to do some more about that with you. So how can people get in contact with you, find out more about Be The Giants and other things that you're doing? So uh, my website, www.leonbanforth.com. Um, email leon at leonbanforth.com. LinkedIn, Leon Banforth as well. Probably the easiest ways. Perfect. Well, they'll all go in the show notes, so that's fine. And if you're out and about right now, don't panic. It'll be in the show notes so you can grab them later. Leon, thank you for sharing why you do what you do. It has been an absolute pleasure to hear your story, your why, and your focus on why. How would you like to leave the audience today? Just with the reflection of 
where are you most needed right now? So sometimes our, our why can be a little bit selfish, can't we, of what we need. But actually, sometimes the greatest um, meaning in life comes from taking that responsibility and helping other people. So where are you, the giant? Where are you needed? And actually, maybe the greatest thing you can do is to go be their giant. Thank you for listening to Focus on Why with me, Amy Rowlandson. To show your appreciation and to help other listeners understand what value you have received from tuning in today, please leave me an Apple Podcasts five-star review. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the inspiring, uplifting and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.